In this week's episode of Texas Scorecard Radio, we'll get an update on several stories coming from the Texas Capitol. We'll also hear about how folks in Central Texas are reacting to the closure of historic businesses. And check in on one North Texas city using this crisis as cover to infringe on First Amendment rights. For our interview, we talked to former Senator Don Huffines about why we're seeing a lack of leadership from Governor Abbott and others in Austin. And we'll close with a commentary from Carrie Cheshire. Welcome, friends, to another week of Texas Scorecard Radio. I, of course, am your host, Tony McDonald. You can find us on the web at www.texasscorecard.com. Follow me on social media at TweetTonyMac. I want to get started real quick with this week's news. i got Brandon Walton's Managing Editor for Texas Scorecard. Uh, Brandon, I want to talk to you about several kind of little stories that are important uh, to listeners that are coming out of the Texas Capitol. Uh, first up, a big update uh, from Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, finally getting some clarity about churches and church uh, closures. That's right. You know, we've seen uh, over the past several weeks since the uh, coronavirus shutdowns across the state and across the country that you've had a lot of counties and cities that have come in and said, uh, you can't go to church. You have to hold your services online. Uh, you know, we're going to we're going to ticket you. We're going to arrest you even if you do a drive in service. Uh, now we've got some updated clarification from Governor Greg Abbott and the Attorney General Ken Paxton uh, that says pretty explicitly, look, local governments cannot ban church services. Yeah, they had kind of said that before, but had left enough ambiguity in there that the Mm -hmm. local governments had run wild. Now they're saying local governments cannot close church. So it's now very clear uh, so people can take that to the bank. Um, Another important story coming out of the Capitol, uh, Governor Abbott out with this now, I see, hold on, a strike force, a task force uh, to advise him on how to reopen Texas, reopen businesses. Uh, but a lot of ethics questions being raised about that because he's appointed a lobbyist to head up the project. Right. And as we've seen other states uh, across the country begin the process of lifting these restrictions, Abbott has taken a committee approach, if you will. And so he has assembled this strike force to open Texas uh, that consists of himself, some other statewide, uh, some business folks uh, from across the state. Uh, but but notably, you look at the top and who's leading this effort. I mean, you've got a lobbyist, a taxpayer-funded lobbyist at that, Mike Toomey, someone who's been really big in Austin. On that strike force, he's actually got a leadership position. He's the COO of the thing. Yeah, very interesting. And, it, and it's interesting, too, uh, Abbott was asked about that. I wrote, wrote a little article about this for TexasScoreCard.com. Abbott was asked about this by a reporter. And, you know, Abbott noted, hey, this guy has taken a leave of absence and deregistered as a lobbyist while he's working on this project. Uh, but seems clear to me that he still has a financial connection to his former firm, his former clients. And mm-hmm. so I don't know that the conflict has really gone anywhere. I mean, he, he's- and the, these aren't small clients either. I mean, these are, like I said, taxpayer funded lobbyists. He's, he's had contracts recently with the city of Houston and San Antonio. Uh, so you wonder how that plays into his decision making when you're talking about reopening the state potentially in a phased approach. Well, and certainly with the conflicts between the governor's policies and local governments, as we were talking about with churches, um, that certainly factors into that. Uh, Finally, another story that's kind of interesting, flying kind of below the radar. Uh, Obviously, Texans are going to be facing a budget crunch 
uh, when we head in the next legislative session. So that puts a lot of focus on the state's budget writing board called the Legislative Budget Board. Uh, outgoing Speaker Dennis Bonin making a very curious appointment uh, to that board uh, while people are kind of distracted with other things. Yeah, it's a story that, that that just won't end. I mean, right, you had Dennis Bonin, who's not seeking re-election. He's a lame duck Speaker of the House right now, um, but still out there, uh, you know, casting some retribution against some of the folks that he thinks uh, put him out of power. The most recent example came this week when you had uh, Drew Darby, a Republican, a moderate Republican, keep in mind, but somebody who was on the forefront of asking Bonin to step down amid uh, his scandal uh, last year. Uh, removing him from the Legislative Budget Board. This is the kind of group that basically uh, works to create these budget recommendations that the legislature ultimately votes on. But a lot of the work is done on this board um, yeah. and replaces him not just uh, with you know somebody else, but actually replaces him with a very liberal Democrat, actually the, the chair of the new LGBTQ caucus in the Texas House. Yeah, very, very interesting stuff there. Well, thank you, uh, Brent, for keeping an eye on things at the Capitol, and uh, we'll have to have to <laughs> keep tabs on them as we move forward. Always. Now let's turn to Jacob Asmussen with Texas Scorecard Central Texas Bureau. Jacob, the closure of a lot of historic businesses, restaurants in the city of Austin, really getting people's attention about the economic consequences of this current shutdown. Absolutely, Tony. As these government shutdowns drag on, we're seeing more and more iconic Austin landmarks getting killed off. Uh, places such as Magnolia Cafe, uh, Restaurant Threadgills, a UT staple, Fricano's Deli. I mean, these are places that have been around for decades, you know, nearly 40 years in some instances. And these shutdowns have been too much, have suffocated them out. Well, it's interesting, too. You've seen uh, some of these businesses say, OK, we're closing our doors temporarily and we'll take a run at putting things back together uh, when you know, things things recover. Uh, but it actually tells you a little something about the business environment in Austin and Travis County generally uh, that these folks are saying, look, uh, it's just we're going to hang it up permanently, even though these are popular restaurants. Absolutely. I mean, even before the coronavirus hit. Um, for a lot of these small businesses in Austin, they were already being suffocated by the local government's taxing. Um, just the Austin City Council in the past 11 years has uh, taken 100% more property taxes from the median homeowner. Um, and it's, it's just they were already having a difficult time. But then when these shutdowns came, it was just too much to bear. Yeah, it's very interesting. Tells us a little bit about uh, what good recovery policy will look like uh, in the near future. A lot of local governments, you know, already starting to acknowledge, hey, they're going to be having revenue shortfalls. They're not going to be having the taxes come in that they expected in order to pay the budgets uh, that they they had set. And so, you know, the question is, are they going to raise taxes on these businesses? And I think the answer is like that. That means a lot of these folks just are going to decide. We're going to hang it up permanently. Why come back if you're going to get taxed to death? Right, Tony. And what's mind-boggling is the Austin City Council has already been discussing raising taxes next year on, on, on these small businesses, on these families that they don't have any money left. They don't have any money left to give. And it's so like you said, the, the recovery policy coming out of this, these local governments need to start actually helping 
the citizens, let them keep more of their hard-earned money um, rather than harming these people who have lost their entire livelihoods. Well, one of the good things here is that these are popular businesses, so it is definitely getting folks' attention, and you're seeing more calls from the grassroots for uh, the state to reopen. That's right, Tony. As this happens across the state, um, we're seeing more and more people saying, look, we need a clear and decisive plan. We need some kind of action. Um, you had uh, just recently over 200 grassroots leaders write um, an open letter to Governor Abbott um, just crying out for some kind of decisive plan. You have a, a growing number of state lawmakers doing the same, including uh, state rep Kyle Biederman, who represents uh, the Fredericksburg area. And in his letter, he said, look, if shoppers can responsibly shop at grocery stores, Walmarts, um, then then let them do it everywhere following CDC guidelines for social distancing and disinfecting. And so um, you, you're seeing a lot of rumbling, a lot of unrest across the state as these shutdowns drag on and, and really cause deep devastation to so many people. Um, you're seeing people crying out for some kind of action. Yeah. Well, thank you for keeping an eye on, uh, obviously, the negative news of these closures and the positive news of uh, local communities and local leaders uh, stepping up to uh, try and chart a path forward. Appreciate your reporting on it. Thanks, Tony. Next, let's turn and talk to Robert Montoya with the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Bureau for Texas Scorecard. Robert, you've been covering the efforts of one local government that's been using this ongoing crisis, apparently as cover, to make an assault on the First Amendment rights of their constituents. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, Tony. So last uh, Monday, the uh, city council of Watauga uh, passed an ordinance that basically makes it um, bans citizens from recording city officials without uh, prior notification. And uh, the vote passed, and the only city councilman to speak against it was uh, Councilman Scott Pressure. And he had given us a statement saying that, you know, they want this to pass, you know, quietly They during this emergency situation. Yeah, very interesting. So Texas is uh, well known as a one-party consent state. Uh, obviously, uh, we've seen various news events where folks have recorded uh, their interactions with another person, uh, recording a conversation and then releasing it later. Uh, it's a very important reporting and transparency tool. Uh, these people, uh, despite the state being a one-party consent state, uh, want to put in place an ordinance that says, okay, for them, for the local government officials, that if you were to record them, you'd have to tell them in advance. Sounds like they're trying to shield themselves from accountability. Yes, it does. And, you know, the arguments they give, like they're saying, well, this is because there have been recording uh, officials from other officials, or they're saying, you know, it provides the opportunity for city employees and officials to defend themselves when they're challenged by the public or individ other individuals. These are just you know, these are just arguments that are just do not hold water, and it really questions, you know, what is what are these councilmen thinking during this time? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's one of those things that uh, may precipitate a lawsuit uh, as folks look at this and say, hey, this looks like a violation of uh, Texans' First Amendment rights uh, there in Watauga. Uh, very interesting, the city councilman pressure who gave the statement to you uh, for your article at texasscorecard.com kind of coming under assault by the rest of the council, maybe because of his comments. Uh, that's correct. Uh, so earlier this week, um, the city council voted six to one to remove pressure from as liaison to two different committees. 
And uh, pressure was very, he was very saddened by that and very frustrated. And I found out that uh, not too long after the vote, he actually resigned his position as city council. Yeah, so resigning in protest uh, over all these issues. Well, it's very interesting, something we'll definitely have to keep an eye on. But uh, for folks who live in the city of Watauga, uh, it's very concerning that their local government is using this situation to try to take away uh, and restrict their First Amendment rights. Thanks, thanks for catching this. Very important story. Thank you, Tom. Texas Scorecard Radio is a project of Empower Texans. At texasscorecard.com or empowertexans.com, you can find more news and daily updates from all around the Lone Star State. You can also find updates from Empower Texans and Texas Scorecard on Facebook and Twitter and follow Empower Texans on Instagram. Texas Scorecard's News Digest goes out weekly via email with occasional updates throughout the week. Subscribe online and find more information at empowertexans.com. Someone's always keeping score. We think it ought to be the taxpayers. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome on the program this week former Senator Don Huffines. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Tony. Hope you guys are safe out there. Yeah, doing all right. You know, try, <laughs> try, trying to deal with all this policy. But you know, I wanted to have you on. You had a commentary that was published in uh, Texas Scorecard. I guess this last week, uh, one of the outspoken voices uh, saying what I think a lot of people are thinking, but but in some cases, maybe afraid to say, uh, which is open criticism that uh, the governor is not doing his job as a leader uh, to show a plan of how we can get out of this uh, current economic debacle that we're in. Uh, I wanted you to just shed a little light. What, what is your opinion on that? I mean, what should the governor be doing? Well, look, yeah. Uh, uh- First, let me just say that it's very important that it, that everyone understands that this virus is real and that people are getting sick and that people are dying. And as a matter of fact, I first read about this virus in the uh, first of February and, of course, studied it and what was happening in China. I prepared myself and uh, bought my M95 mask for my families and gloves and everything like that. And and we were I was very concerned uh, about uh, the you know, about the virus. And, but since after two weeks, two or three weeks, and seeing the results of what's happening in the United States and in the great state of Texas, and the fact is that not many people are, are getting sick and, and not that many are dying, uh, I think that the governor has turned in a, 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 health, a health issue into an incredible economic disaster for the state of Texas. Yeah, I mean, we're look, seeing... He, you know, we're seeing oil prices go negative. We're seeing, uh, you know, massive unemployment. Uh, I think a lot of people have a feeling here. Well, the 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 cure is worse than, and literally here, the disease. And there's no question about that. I mean, he's taken a public health crisis and added to a massive economic, turned it into a massive economic crisis. And this this is unarguably the biggest economic crisis ever in the history of the state of Texas. And he alone is responsible for it. He's, it's very unusual when you have a situation where you can put all the blame on, on one person. And you can in this situation because the governor, this is, this is a sovereign state, and the governor is responsible for our response to this issue. And 
and he has acquiesced to the local governments, the very liberal uh, mayors and county judges, and, and most of the local officials are very liberal. He's acquiesced to them. He's not stepped up. And he has the authority to override anything they're doing. All the authority these local people get comes from the state of Texas. It comes from the governor. And a lot of people don't understand that. And the governor hasn't, hasn't overridden really anything that I know of that these uh, local uh, uh, leaders have, have, have done. And they have absolutely destroyed us. They've destroyed the state of Texas. Well, and you're, just, you're located you're located there in Dallas County, uh, where you have uh, Clay Jenkins, a very liberal county judge, running running wild with policy. Obviously, you've got a very liberal county judge down in Harris County doing basically the same uh, sorts of things. And it's been surprising to me that the governor, at certain points, has come out with orders that appeared to say. Okay, you know, for example, he declared that churches were essential businesses and had a, a you know, got a lot of fanfare for that, which I think was a good, uh, at least symbolically, was this thing, and said, look, any local order that conflicts with this order, you know, we're going to override that. Uh, but then once rubber met the road, these local governments now are banning church services, and the governor seems to be doing absolutely nothing. Well, that's totally true. He's been silent about it, and that means he supports it. And look at the, let's just take a look at this real quick. It, one million Texans have filed unemployment claims, if they can even get through. I suspect there'll be hundreds of thousands or more, if not another million, going forward for the next three or four weeks. This is un, it just, it's just really phenomenal. It is just so unprecedented. And think of all of those people. A million of anything is is a lot. And these people cannot pay their, they can't pay their rent. They can't pay their mortgage. They can't pay their utility bills. They're going to be in bread lines, food lines. It's going to, they're going to be dependent on the government. We have made one million more Texans dependent on the government. And Texans don't want to be dependent on the government. We're independent by nature. We don't, we want to work for a living. Texans like being productive. And now the governor has made sure that he has made at least one million, if not up to two million people now, basically de- dependent on the government for their food. It's it's just devastating to our te- our state. Well, it, it, you know, and you're a you're a businessman, and uh, you know, very in tune with the business community there in Dallas. I, I mean, I assume this is having you know, wreaking havoc on businesses. And that's what's leading to these, uh, you know, layoffs. Oh, absolutely. Of course. I mean, they basically are telling everyone that it's against the law to go to work. And, uh, you know, the constitutional constitutional questions come into play on this. And when, like you were mentioning earlier, when the, when the local governments and up here, Clay Jenkins did, when he shut down the churches and said, you can't go to service, uh, the governor was silent about that. He didn't, he didn't push back at all. And it, I just, it, I think that people really need to understand that he needs to be held accountable for it. And let's just talk about these task forces that the lieutenant governor and the governor are creating now. And you know why most politicians create a task force? Why they don't have to because they don't have to be accountable to the decisions, right? It's using <laughs> political cover. This is all about well, political uh, cover. 
And, well, and this and he, is this is something you have firsthand exposure to. I mean, you served in the legislature as a state senator um, and got a kind of inside view of how this, you know, they always say, oh, it's the sausage making process, all this stuff, uh, which, you know, kind of makes excuses for it. Um, there's a, a serious mentality problem uh, amongst politicians in Austin. It, always. Always. They want to hide behind anything they can. They don't want to be, they just simply don't want to be accountable. That's why they have a task force. So the task force can come out with some recommendation of how you open the state back up. I find that very humorous. I mean, you closed it in, in one day. You could open it in one day if you wanted to. And oh, well, I love this one. Tony comes out and he says last Friday, of course, he had a news conference to announce he's going to have an, uh, He's going to have another announcement in a week, but he also wanted to make one significant change. And he said, OK, well, you can we're going to open the state parks up Monday, which was happened to be uh, this this week, Monday. Oh, but you have to wear a mask. <laughs> you can't associate with anyone more than five people. So now you've got people going out there fishing and launching their boats on the lakes and, and walking around with a mask on and having picnics out in the middle of nowhere and going hiking with masks on. I just think it's kind of like for some comedy comedy show or something. I mean, it, it's really totally out of control. Well, it's been interesting, you know, back to this mentality issue. It, it's almost... It's not almost as if. I think it is as if these politicians view people with a sense of disdain that they are a problem to be overcome and you know all the important things are done through and via government. And in reality, <clears throat> it's the exact opposite. Well, of course it is. And when we say when I'm saying that the, the state should open up uh, the businesses that they forcibly have made everyone close, it, it doesn't mean that everyone has to go back. If, look, if people are scared and they have, there's a lot of people that really are scared about this virus and they maybe they should be uh, scared, but it doesn't mean they have to go expose themselves. All it means is that they if you don't want to catch it and you're very scared, just stay, stay in your home. Right, you can just stay home and make sure you self isolate your, uh, themselves from any potential uh, person that might have it. But right now, we can't find that many people that really have it. If you look at the statistics in the state of Texas, uh, as of uh, this week, uh, today, uh, North Texas, the whole North Texas metroplex area had around four. 4,903 cases and 129 deaths in the state. Why it is below over 20,000 cases and 500, over 517 deaths. I mean, if you compare that to car accidents, it's, it's about the same, about the same number of people die every day in a car that's, that have basically died in the last couple of months from this virus. So, and we don't destroy our, 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 our economy and our society uh, because of that. And, and this has generational consequences. I mean, the ramifications of, of what's happened to our economy are unimaginable. They really are just unimaginable from mental health problems. And I imagine more people are going to die directly related to this, to the government shutdown of our economy than they're going to die of the virus. Well, and that's really the unfortunate thing. So much in government policy, you have, you know, the seen and unseen consequences of government action. And oftentimes, maybe the seen, the things you see done as a result of the policy, oh, it's good. And then the unseen consequences can be tremendously devastating. Uh, I think just today, I saw an email forwarded to me about a, a man who died of colon cancer uh, because his doctors refused to give him a surgery. Uh, because you couldn't 
allocate surgeries in a time whenever everybody's focused on coronavirus. Uh, it, it's been said by some, it's almost as if we're treating you know, coronavirus patients as first class, you know, patients, that's the first class citizens. And anybody who's sick with anything else is just a second class citizen who needs to get out of the way. Uh, but, you know, like you said, the, the numbers just simply aren't there. No, they're not. And I don't, I don't, it's not going to change. Uh, you know, I think you got to kind of, I kind of step back and I say, well, why would Abbott do this? And, and why are our politicians not speaking up and our elected office holders and uh, about this, this destruction of our liberty and our economy? And, and it's really because they don't, don't most of them, most of them don't operate with a strong foundation of the proper role of government. And that is that our it's all, government's always about defending liberty. That's the proper role of government, our personal liberty and our economic liberty. And if, people, if our elected office holders would keep that in mind, I think they could operate in a more logical, non-emotional manner to any type of crisis that comes about or any type of issue that affects the state of Texas. Yeah, liberty think- is more important, more important than anything. I mean, that's what our country and our state were founded on. Yeah, so much of this is misguided thought of saying, well, government's there to protect people. But, you know, as Franklin said, if you trade your your liberty for safety, you you deserve neither. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, this has been great. Thank you for being a leader on these issues uh, and speaking out. And I think when a lot of people are afraid to criticize uh, the politicians for their actions. You're speaking pretty full-throatedly. Uh, I tell uh, listeners, if you haven't seen it, go to texasscorecard.com. Uh, check out uh, Don Huffine's commentary there on on the inaction of Governor Abbott and the reality that he's the one responsible uh, for what's going on in this state. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're certainly welcome. Thank you, Tony. Hey there, Texas Scorecard Radio listeners. Jim Graham from Texas Right to Life here. And I wanted to quickly hijack the show to remind you that every Tuesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. on the Empower Texans and Texas Right to Life Facebook pages, Empower Texans CEO Michael Quinn Sullivan and I will discuss all the latest news from around the state, country, and world. We don't always stay on topic, but when we do, we're delivering you the news and perspective you need to hold your elected officials accountable. Don't forget the Jim and Michael show every Tuesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. on the Empower Texans and Texas Right to Life Facebook pages. With this current recession, we're certainly headed towards a budget crunch as a state, and that means we need to be looking for places to cut. Carrie Cheshire suggests one place to look in this week's commentary. As the Chinese coronavirus pandemic and sub-zero oil prices assail the Texas economy and throw the world into an economic recession, it's becoming clearer than ever that Texas lawmakers are going to have a serious shortfall in tax revenue. That means they need to make cuts, and for that, they should look no further than our state's largest universities. Hi, I'm Kerry Cheshire with this week's Texas Scorecard Radio Commentary. Already, Texas Comptroller Glenn Hager is anticipating that when he adjusts the state's revenue projection in July, it'll be several billion dollars short of the funds needed to balance the budget lawmakers passed in 2019. As a result, lawmakers are going to have to do the same thing every Texas household is doing right now, scrutinize their budget and look for ways to cut back. A great place to start is public university funding, but lawmakers must be careful to avoid the mistakes they've made before and ensure administrators don't make up for the shortfall 
by increasing costs on Texas students and families. Lawmakers faced a budget crunch roughly a decade ago in 2011, after an economic recession left the state with a significant budget shortfall. In that crunch, they cut funding for higher education. But because power to set tuition rates rests in the hands of unelected boards of regents, many public universities eschewed serious cuts to their bureaucracy and instead made up the difference by increasing tuition on already beleaguered students and their families. This time, the Texas legislature needs to ensure that students are protected by freezing tuition rates at current levels and requiring universities to reduce their administrative bloat and social justice programming instead. A 25% across-the-board budget cut in budgeted 2021 general revenue funding to the state's public universities and system administrations would achieve savings of nearly $250 million, while still leaving many of them with more funding than they've had in the recent past. We must also remember that state appropriations are only one part of university funding streams. They also take in millions in tuition, donations, endowments, sports programs, and licensing fees. By cutting public university spending, Texas lawmakers can not only help ensure resources are there to pay for property tax relief and other essential items, but also curtail the liberal bureaucracy that currently focuses more on indoctrination than education. I'm Kerry Cheshire, and this has been a Texas Scorecard Radio Commentary. Well, that's all I have for this week's show. Remember, we're a self-governing people. You're responsible for your own health, not the government. So stay safe out there. Texas Scorecard Radio is brought to you each week as a public service from the Empower Texans Foundation and in partnership with the Lincoln Institute and this station. You can download podcasts from each program and learn more at empowertexans.com. 